Happy New Year, screenwriters. Some of you out there might be hoping that 2023 is your year, but you're down in the trenches with bills and day jobs and life obstacles keeping you from doing what you want to be doing the most, making art. But we at Bespectacle Mofo Content have devised a formula that bypasses all the nonsense, all the obstacles, and allows you to practice your craft, fill your creativity soul bank, and not break your bank account while doing it. Welcome to the Cinema Challenge Series. Our first round is the definitive take on how to make a movie for $1,000. Yes, we have done this before, but this is why the information that we have now is the most viable that it's ever been. Everything you're ever going to need or encounter on your journey all summed up in a live three-hour virtual workshop where you can not only follow along with a free exclusive workbook, but also ask questions to further tailor our advice to your specific needs. Our holiday special is over, but for listeners of this podcast, we are offering 30% off with the code BMOFO23, all caps. And with that code, you also get the holiday special of us promoting your film. All you have to do is send us the trailer for your film within a year of taking our virtual workshop, and we'll shout it out on all Bespectacle Mofo-related social media. If interested, please register with the link below or email us at rob at bmofo.net for more info. Our YouTube channel is also available with shortened versions of the content we plan to offer in the virtual workshop. Find those links in the description of this podcast, and thanks for allowing us to be a part of your journey. Hello, my name is Robert Higgins. And I'm Kate Tuxter. And this is episode 68 of Screenwriting from the Trenches, a screenwriting podcast about the craft and expression of screenwriting in all of its forms, from the perspective of writers just like you. This week, Kay and I are talking adaptations, specifically via The Last of Us, since I've played the video game and Kay has not, so I thought it would be a really great uh, sort of contrast um, me being a giant super fan and Kay being a casual view viewer of the show. Um, so, um, you know, we're going to dive into that in a little bit, but first, as always, we must discuss what is screenwriting Twitter, a Twitter about this week. Take it away, Zach. It's just another day in screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama. It's just another day in screenwriting drama. It's another day in screenwriting drama. And we're back. Um, the first thing we're going to talk about is something I don't think, uh, speaking of shows um, on HBO Max, um, I don't think either of us have watched this, but there was a lot of backlash to Velma this week, uh, Kate Tuxford. Uh, I was seeing it from everywhere. People are just like mad um, that it that it exists. <laughs> um, <You> just... <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, yeah. No. I I think I think that it's. I haven't seen it yet, and I do love like something like a HBO Max, like Harley Quinn. Like I'm all about it, and I feel like that shows like it's made for me. Um, I did not know if Velma, I guess it's R-rated, it's more for adults. Um, I didn't really know any of that coming in because I didn't I didn't see any like ads or anything for it. But now that people are kind of going through the episodes, like it doesn't seem like it's resonating with any group of people. There's a story going around that I heard that um, Mindy Kaling, the person who is the creator uh, of the show, I believe, and also the voice of Velma, um, that she came to them with an idea for a cartoon show, and they wanted to marry that idea to a piece of IP that they had. 
And so they, I guess they settled on Scooby-Doo. So the show is a prequel um, to their mystery machine days. Mm -hmm. uh, it's them in high school. And um, because of that, it has, you know, it has these odd, as it sort of updates itself, um, yeah. you know, and sort of the Scooby-Doo universe, because you can sort of think of it now as like every sort of version of Scooby-Doo is from another universe or whatever like that, because there's been so many shows um, so many movies and, and adaptations of of the of the of the quirk concept of Scooby Doo, and so um, you know in this version they're all in high school and um, you know it's 2023 and and there it's got 2023 values but you know they're also uh, sort of playing on the old tropes of the show uh, sort of playing at them but it's also got weird moments like I sent you. Um, a picture of like there's a moment apparently in the show where Velma's dad has knocked up a waitress um and then the waitress is I guess explaining to Velma that she's a loser or having a conversation with Velma while her dad takes naked pictures of the waitress in the same room and the people yeah. are screen grabbing this and, and they're, they're and like the, and the the baby is also posing. Yeah, the baby is posing for the picture. Um, yeah, while in the belly of the yeah, she's, yeah, yeah, she's the baby is posing through the the posing through the mom herself through her skin, and I was like, what? I don't even know how. I don't know, man. That's that's even beyond some Rick and Morty shit. Like, I, I <laughs> that's really weird. Well, and I think I think the thing is. If you watch something like Rick and Morty, you kind of, or even like Harley Quinn, you're like, okay, these guys are supposed to be bad guys, right? They're supposed to be on, you know, like unremorseful. Like Harley Quinn can like kill six people and then realize like, oh, you know, I'm not really in touch with my feelings as much as I should be. And, we, I, you know, I'll be better. And we go, oh, Harley, you're learning how to human just a little bit better, right? Right, right, right. There's, there's a, yeah, there's definitely like a sort of a context to that sort of, to, to the raunchy adult cartoon. Like, mm -hmm. you're right, Rick Sanchez is a monster. Yeah. Um, and he's constantly letting people know, letting people know that, or reminding people that he is, in fact, a monster. Like, he's like, I'm too intelligent to deal with this bullshit. I can't, I can't have it. And just right. like, you know, you find out that Rick is just, he's awful. And the sort of the deeper down that you go, like the more awful Rick is. Um, and Morty, it, you know, sort of like the depravities of a 14 year old boy. Um, you know, you sort of, you sort of get that, especially a 14 year old boy who's, who's got Rick as his general reference as to right. what uh, a functional adult is. Um, you know, it's just, you sort of get it. It's sort of, you understand where the dysfunction comes from, but um but then you, but at the same, I don't know that there is, there are, you know, like Rick and Morty does have things like incest baby. So I, I, you can't really sort of like make them out to be whatever, but there's, there's just like a weird, I don't know. I don't know. I, I out of context, I guess it, it all sounds weird. So you have to sort of watch the show. I guess you have to watch the show. Um, yeah. But I don't know that I'm necessarily like interested but i don't know you know people seem to be very upset about this which i also find hilarious because it's like it's scooby-doo come on guys it's a guy yeah. about one of the characters I mean, is a stoner with a talking dog 
but he he's not in it. He doesn't have a talking dog. Right. That's the other thing. Scooby isn't in the show. Right. He's Narville. Yeah. This is before he became Shaggy. Yeah, Shaggy. Yeah, he's not the uh, he's not Shaggy yet. He's like some preppy kid. Um. So I don't know. You know, I don't I don't like to just poo poo on things, but you know, it kind of reminds me of like the blockbuster show that came out recently, which is like you know, I feel like somewhere in development, the question has to become like. Is this what people want to watch? <laughs> no, but like, like the no, Boxers had this problem where, like, um, they made it in 2023, as, right? You know, as the last sort of boiling blockbuster. When you know, most people I talked to wanted to see like a that 90s show around a blockbuster, right? And which is ironic because they're about to release that 90s show, which I don't want to see. And I did want to see a 90s show around the blockbuster video. Like, yeah. I totally wanted to see that show. But that 90s show, I have no interest in that. Exactly. Um, like, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. And so for Velma, like, I don't, I think the inherent premise of watching, like, young Velma turn into Velma, as we know her, could be fine and funny. But I don't think we want her to be, like, a Rick Sanchez, like, awful R-rated person. Like, inherently part of what we've always liked about her character is that, like, she's, she's, she's loyal to her friends and right. she's really smart and like those things don't necessarily make her this like bitter jaded you know rick from rick and morty and so like i don't know where the r-rated comedy comes from and i think that's where they're struggling yeah i definitely uh, to sort of speak to your point i really would love to see like you know if they did it like the them being in high school circa like the early 60s like you know what i mean just like uh, when like it was a hannah barbera show with like you know sort of like that 60s revolution like summer of love upcoming kind of thing going for it like i really would have liked to see that like that would have been interesting um yeah. with sort of like the 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 turmoil of the time you know that sort of you know, you could have done a really nice parallel, um, you know, and stuff like that instead of, you know, that being like, okay, I think because a lot of people are rubbing up against the sort of eat your vegetables rules of like 2023, um, you know, and being able to sort of like satirize that, which I think Scooby-Doo has always kind of been, you know, a big satire of like that kind of um the mystery things and stuff like that the sort of mystery box premise to sort of play against that satire you know like you know i, I really could see that you know um but i don't know i like i said um i don't the stuff that i've heard about it doesn't make me want to watch it the stuff that i've seen doesn't make me want to watch it so i don't think i'm gonna watch it but yeah I, I may i may catch it just to just to you know feel like i've done my due diligence but i haven't like i haven't it's like avatar 2 i didn't i haven't gone and seen that i'm like i probably will but i'm not running i'm i'm walking slowly ambling towards where i need to go yeah i feel the um, exact same way about avatar 2 i'm just not going i'm just not i have no interest i just don't yeah it will happen i'm sure but um yeah there's so many other things and i was like yeah i saw, I saw avatar 1 a long time ago and and like I haven't ever seen it since so um which you know fine and for people who love it fine um but like, I don't know if I really want to like watch one movie to remember the plot of the other movie <laughs> yeah before I go. yeah one three-hour um, movie to remember the plot for another three-hour movie um yeah. yeah so yeah uh uh speaking of things that uh people didn't want um there's more, there's been more cancellations um, uh, or sort of this, the ongoing trend of 
we had a show. It was in production. We finished it, and the studio's like, yeah, we're not really going to release it. Uh, continues with this week with Snowpiercer and mm-hmm. Pantheon. Yeah. Um, neither one, apparently, is getting a release now, um, even though, apparently, these things have been shot. Um, folks are not getting stuff because HBO is continuing to chug along but it's not just hbo it's also amc and stars and all of everybody seems to be tightening their belts um and they as they do they're just like yeah that show we i guess we don't need it um and then they just not only do they ixnay the um the show in production but they also take down the episodes that were that they've already completed that are already just up on up streaming um they're just like do 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 and you know meanwhile magnum pi is you know still on cbs <laughs> um not to say like whatever it's 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 just odd and um i was listening to a podcast um the the writers uh the writers the writers list the writers something like that the um i'll put a link to it in the show notes but it was a bunch of writers that got together with ben blacker and they were talking about every one of them is working on a show or has something in development and they're all confused as to what to do because nobody knows what to do anymore because you know it's they you know even with the sort of power that writers have in television there's nobody uh stopping studios from coming down like the like the you know the strap of daddy and just like <laughs> taking the show out of production and being like that's it you don't get it you your show doesn't air and there's been this argument online of people being like, well, it's fine. Even if they took the show out of production, everybody still got paid, but that's not how jobs work in Hollywood, you know, that, um, and this will tie into our next segment, but like, um, you know, award seasons, um, and also just the visibility of a project, especially for actors, you know, you do a project and actors are literally, uh, they literally have labels. They literally have, um, you know, like um, it goes by a, 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 like a letter classification and your letter classification, according to SAG rules, entitles you to a certain amount of money. And you are always looking to raise that profile. And you do that by getting jobs, of course, and taking parts that get you noticed and get you buzzed. And as you get buzzed, you get but you know, cast in bigger projects and you get cast in bigger roles. And as you get cast in bigger roles, your, your, uh, your rating increases. Um, and so you're in, as your rating increases, you are entitled to more money, but that can't happen. Obviously, if, um, you are, you do a show, you put your work into a show where, you know, you were a season regular, um, or a guest and then star, that show, yeah. and then yeah, and then that show never sees the light of day, and then you know, then it, it's, it's almost like you know doing like kind of like an independent film that nobody saw. You know what I mean? You got paid for it and then whatever like that, but nobody saw your work. So it's how to you know so and you're only as good as your last project in Hollywood. That's that's you know. Yeah, so. and also it seems I think I think for us as as viewers, you know, I think this this recent like cancellation hbo max obviously has been at the epicenter of this like they i mean they took even shows that are already done and completed off of it so they're not even paying any sort of uh you know 
streaming rights to anybody who created it. And I think that's part of what the problem is, is it seems to me like, you know, some of these places are shooting themselves in the foot. Like if you're HBO Max and you paid for and made Westworld, do you really want to take it off of the streaming app where, you know, people are going to watch it sign yeah. Up? or yeah. are watching it? Yeah. Are I... watching it. Yeah. And, and, and like the, the, I guess the, the dark side of this is some, Somewhere up in the studio head is saying, you know, these shows aren't even worth airing on our streaming app to get people, you know, to keep subscribing. Because essentially in the streaming wars that we're in or where it's coming into this, you know, this, I think we had a, a glut of, of material and now there's some scaling back, uh, which is understandable in the giant landscape of things that we've been you know it's like new show new show new show new show obviously right. it's going to taper off um but i mean all of that money spent and we're talking about like it's not even going to show up on the app that they own right. um netflix had a had a project like this that i thought i thought was a really good example of it which was um i don't know if you saw it matilda the musical yeah the 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 new matilda musical i haven't seen it yeah, so like I hadn't seen any advertising really for it. Um, and I saw the I, thing, the 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 viral dance that people were doing on on the thing that made me want to see it because it was like oh, that dance oh, just took off. What is it? Oh, Wednesday, you mean? No, 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 no. It was both Wednesday and Matilda. That Tilda, that um, da 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 like that. Yeah, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, and they start going down the hall and, you know, like there's that, it's a huge dance sequence that went viral on TikTok, the, the, the dancing oh, of Matilda. Revolting uh, children or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, revolting children. Yes. Um, yeah. That dance number went viral. That, at least that first hallway shot. Um, yeah. Because it was so visually dynamic, people were just well, recreating it, it over and over again. It was really great. Yeah. And it's, it's, if you, if you, if you watch it, it's very high production value. Oh yeah. Um, and, and like I saw it on Christmas day, I didn't even go to the theaters cause I was like, well, what do I want to see? And I was like, I'd rather stay home and, um, <laughs> watch Matilda, you know, considering what's out in theaters. And I was like, you know, Netflix didn't really advertise it too much. Like, th thankfully, people are finding it. And obviously, yeah. it, it, like, moved up on the, like, oh, people are watching this right now on Netflix. But, um, you know, stuff like that, I was asking other streamers, and they're like, well, they don't, they don't have, they're not going to put in any more money to advertise. Right. Um, you know, they hit that trench. But, but even if somebody, like, doesn't want to advertise the new Snowpiercer, like, why not drop it? into the streaming and you know for the people who are watching it they they will have more content right it's got an audience yeah. clearly they're on season four like you know what i mean like you don't get four seasons of television without some kind of audience yeah so so i mean i think it comes down to just dollars and cents somebody's sitting there deciding you know if the residuals and everything is worth the viewership etc cetera, etc cetera, or the extra like amount i don't see the that of the contract so i can't tell you but clearly somebody's just doing this because it's cutting it's cutting a you know some money back a little bit but it's it's kind of shooting themselves in the foot because again um you know like just like hbo max just drastically reduced their library recently mm -hmm. you know all these subscribers are gonna yeah during a content war it's really it's, yeah. it's really odd you know it's kind of the opposite of what you know people are doing um, and I get what you're saying. It kind of reminds me of that scene from uh, where Ed Norton has explained the formula of what his job is in, in Fight Club, where yeah. he's like, it, you know, if A plus B plus C equals X, 
if X is the size, of, if X is less than the, the cost of a uh, a recall, we don't do one. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's just it feels like somebody's applying that formula to uh, the re, to like the residuals of stuff to like the the idea of promoting and and putting out a show. They're like, if this and this and this uh, is less than this, then we'll just take it off the air. It's just cheaper for us to do that um, yeah. rather than to like actually promote the show and put it out there and put, try and put eyes on it. Um, and I'm just like, wow, um, which is so weird to me because, you know, like I said, uh, you know, this, you know, you can't, what are you supposed to tell these people? Their work is, is based on being seen. And then the show goes kaputski and no yeah. one can really speak out about it because, you are trying, everybody's trying to be Hollywood. And so they're trying to maintain um, bridges. They're trying not to burn bridges. So there's nobody really like speaking out against it yet. But behind the scenes, people are confused and they're angry. And it, that's why you hear a lot of talk about the strike. Um, and so this is all leading into the strike. But it's let's that's a thing for another time. But um, we're here to talk about adapting the last of us yes. um so let's first uh sort of talk about where we're coming to in terms of the show um i am an unabashed super fan i i know everything about this game from forward to back um uh, the original game i've played other uh, well both games but i've played the the first game more than i played the second game but i've played it over and over and over again um, I am literally like, I am pretty much word for word. Um, I could just like, um, uh, I've got it memorized. I know what to do and you know, whatever like that. I know where all the bodies are buried. I, I'm just a, uh, you know, whatever, but you have not played the game. You're coming to the show cold, I, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have not, not that, I, not that I, uh, have anything against the game. In fact, I have a friend who now works at Naughty Dog, so I should be supporting him um so uh sorry dave i haven't done that yet but um yeah i just i don't think i've ever had the right gaming system and the right free time uh to... well you have a playstation right i don't right now i don't oh, wow. have a, i mean i have an old playstation but i don't have a five is that what we're saying well the uh the the original PlayStation. The, that's the thing about the last of us the original playstation game each one of the last of us games came out at the end of the cycle of of the of the PlayStation console at the time, uh, the, the original Last of Us was a was a was a PS3 game, um, mm. but it was so it it so um, pushed the boundaries of what the PS3 was capable of that they were able to port it over to the PS4 without a problem. And so, oh, nice. at the beginning yeah. of the, uh, the the life cycle of the PS4, they ported it over. And it, it, because the last of us sort of represented the height of what gaming was at that point, it didn't even, it didn't even like, uh, it doesn't even feel old uh, to that extent. But then they remade it um, after they did um, The Last of Us 2. The Last of Us 2, of course, coming out at the end of the PS4 cycle. And again, so far forward that it was ported over to the PS5, no problems at all. Um, because it represents like a height of gaming and then the ps5 uh, got a remake of the uh the original last of us from 2013 mm. um and so that's where um some people are coming from and they're playing the the remake for from ps5 from p 
PS5. But I I'm playing uh I played it originally on PS3 and then again on PS4. Um when they ported it over and they gave us uh some extra content uh when they ported it over to the PS4, you got an extra thing as well as the um left behind um uh DLC which is coming um you can from the if you look at the trailer you can tell that story is coming um you can see in the trailer that that piece of um thing because it's really funny that there's like this point where without any spoilers Ellie has to take off on her own and so while she's taking off on her own we get this sort of um story of her having to defend herself while she we're getting this flashback of how she got how she got to be where how she got to be who she is to joel mm-hmm. um and so um there's that sort of flash forward flashback as she's like out on her own and doing the thing and um that story um sort of um getting that that story and stuff like that 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 crucial piece of story um you get it after you play through the campaign but it seems like in this one you're going to get the story um in narrative First. order this time so mm-hmm. <laughs> um i don't know if they're going to flash forward and flash back but i'm sh- i'm pretty sure that that's how they're going to do it it seems like um they've been pretty faithful to the game like that but um uh that's where we're coming from um yeah, I'm I'm a blank slate. I mean, I have seen lots of zombie movies, so um, I understand that. And then it opened with uh, James Hanna talking about fungi, and I was down. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was that's also, of course, not in the game or anything like that. But it's a a per, uh, a Craig Mazin um, uh, sort of invention. Craig Mazin, of course, the the writer and creator of Chernobyl. Um, and also for screenwriters out there, I'm sure a lot of you know this. Um, he is also the host of the Script Notes podcast. Uh, podcast. He is the co-host of the Script Notes podcast. Um, and so for me, I've been. He's also he's also known to be an infamous grump. Yeah. Uh, um, and and so so um, and he had a minor role in Mythic Quest. Uh, yes. Where, where he also played kind of grump. So I'm I'm wondering if that's his personality. Um, yeah, that's pretty much you know. You know. <laughs> If you've listened to Craig Mason for long enough, um, but I, I'm this is sort of like a one of those kind of geek uh trifectas for me, you know. It has like it pushes all the buttons, um, you know. It has um, it has Craig Mason, who's one of my favorite screenwriters, um, you know, and also you know, it's, it's sort of coming from my sort of world because I'm a big script notes fan, um, uh, but then coming into the that, but then you also have Neil Druckmann, who I'm also a fan of and the last of us and it's just like this i know craig has been this is one of those things that you you can vouch um for the creator like when someone says oh i've been a big fan of the sh- uh, of the the original uh, source material craig has named the last of us as, as as uh multiple times as part of their uh one cool things that they do mm-hmm. at the end of the uh the script notes podcast and he's gushed independently uh before this before he even got the job about the how much game. he likes the game yeah. yeah about how much he loves both games and so this is one of those things when i heard he got the job i was just like oh that's so perfect um you know it just anyway but um uh let's talk about pov because in terms of adapting you know um the game puts you in the um in the shoes uh for the most part about 90 percent of the game it takes you through the shoes of joel miller 
who is a father who uh, has a some tragedy and then um, becomes responsible for um, ferrying a girl, Ellie, um, across. Is this is this is a personal question. You have mm -hmm. a dog named Ellie. Is it named after? Yes, Ellie is named after Ellie from The Last of Us. Yeah, that's oh. yeah, that's how much of a fan I am. I named my dog Ellie. Um, so yeah, uh, Joel is is a, assigned the task as a as a black market smuggler. His job is to sneak things in and out of the Boston QZ zone, uh, quarantine zone where where he currently lives. Um, and his uh, he gets the job of smuggling a girl uh, for the Fireflies. Um, the Fireflies are a militia group that are trying to overthrow the military dictatorship that was installed post-pandemic um, in order to restore democracy. They want to install a, a democratic government, and they're freeding, fighting for that. And they need to smuggle this girl to their members out west, and they test Joel with it because they are getting wiped out. And Joel is a smaller entity. He's not on uh, Fedra's radar. And so um, in that uh, sort of quest, uh, the two characters bond and they sort of grow from uh, one thing into another. And uh, that's in the sort of the game, the game puts you in sort of three perspectives uh, over the course. It starts off sort of with Joel's daughter, Sarah. You control her for a little bit. Then it's mostly Joel. And then there are sections where you control Ellie, as I talked about before with the DLC. And also there's a section in the game where Joel is taking out a commission. Um, mm -hmm. But for the most part, you're in the shoes of Joel. This thing does some of that. It does a lot of that, but it it is it, faithful to the game. But the way that it does, like almost uh, the pilot, at least, almost makes um, the main character to be Joel's daughter, Sarah. Um, like we start it's, off with her for the first like 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. 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 Because, um, well, I was watching with Celia, my wife, and, um, she's never seen the video game either, but I know it's called the last of us. So when it's, you know, I know this is some time in the future after a zombie apocalypse. And so, uh, the scenes with the daughter, uh, you, what's her name? I'm sorry, Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. So the scenes with Sarah, obviously the outbreak hasn't happened yet. So I was like, mm, okay, well, either Sarah's not making it or Sarah's uh, going to be much older when she's, you know, a different character when she, you start the game, uh, right. start the, the story. Um, but it, that she covers like the outbreak, what happens, how it's, you know, how it's kind of being reported and discussed. That was really, yeah. That was yeah. really interesting the way it was being reported because I, I sort of ran up against that. But then I had to remember the adaptation is happening. Um, the outbreak is happening and starts in 2003. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have to remember what the country was like at that point. Like there's a there's a they go into uh, Sarah's classroom and there's a frame picture of the current Bush. president, which was George W. Bush. Yeah. Um, and they also like you have to think this is two years post 9-11. So it's also a, a completely different kind of climate. People are asking about terrorists when the when the when the outbreak starts, and also um, um, the um, there's a lack of social media. There is a complete yeah. lack of social media because you look at the phones like Joel's using like an old Nokia. Flip it's phone, so yeah. it's so retro, and I was like, oh my god. 
such a yeah. cute little photo. People had to use like numbers to text. Remember numbers to text? You had to click the number three times to get like L, you know, like, <laughs> like, and so that there's a, you know, like now when something happens, like I was thinking about the spread of, cause that was something that I wanted to see personally as some, cause the game sort of comes that does what you, what screenwriting always says that you should do. It comes in late and gets out early. And yeah. so the game comes in way later than the show. Like when, um, when um, Sarah gives Joel the watch, that's where the game comes in. That's where you meet Sarah and Joel. Um, you miss all of the other stuff that happens. Like, I'm not, I don't know if that, if that was, uh, you know, uh, something that Neil was talking about, um, you know, or that was part of their initial notes. Cause you know, you do stuff that like, how do the characters get to the point where they start, you know, yeah. like where are they coming from? But all of that stuff that, that we go through where we see Sarah's day and how she got the watch and, um, or how she fixed the watch and how she got the money for it and all the stuff like that. We never saw any of that. We just start in and then it just sort of immerses you because you're playing the character. But in this one, as they're sort of showing you what the world is like before it goes to shit, um, you have this very interesting, um, sort of world where you're just like, I kept thinking to myself, why don't they check Twitter? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah i mean you had you had like sarah walked when she's at her neighbor's she's like is something on the news they were all right. like i don't know there's something on the radio and it's it's, it's being very cryptic it's uh -huh. you know, stay inside don't and the one there. lady at the shop was like get the fuck out like we, we're, we're closing up we're closing up yeah and um, so so it definitely gives that sense of like foreboding mm -hmm. but yeah nobody's like hopping on tiktok and going look at this person with like fungus coming out of their mouth right there's such a lack of like immediate like information because you're like it was 2003 they're talking about they're making adkins jokes you know what i mean like right yeah right like, i'm on adkins i'm on um, adkins um, or, it was, or it was like, there's there's a, the, the only like you don't see a ton of like zombies um in the store even even in the end like like you do when the outbreak is happening but after right. that i feel like not so much but the first one we have is like grandma next door and uh grandma next door it, like they have sarah going through a dvd rack and picking out a <laughs> dvd to borrow which is so 2003 you know we would yeah that was a surreal moment because that Honestly, the, the the DVD that she picks, we don't know that Joel likes that series until the second game. So that's a like that's an Easter egg inside of an Easter egg. It's a, like you don't like I'm not going to spoil that because we find out through another character that Joel likes that series of movies, but they brought that back. But that's literally something from the second game. But we get yeah. it here. And it's so interesting because we're filling out the, this world. And yeah, so, yeah, and it also works great in the scene because while you know, while we're she's obviously turned away from mute grandma, we see grandma in the background like transforming and doing all sorts of weird movements, and the dog's freaking out. So like, uh, you know, obviously it's great for suspense, but yeah, the fact that it just feels very like two thousand three, like yeah, you do go and borrow DVDs from your your neighbors or from right. me, it was call it you know my fellow dorm mates, but um. That sort of goes into something yeah. else where I was thinking about where it was like the, the source material doesn't matter until it does. And yeah. what they've done here is they've taken something where they're going off track, but they've also, but they're showing that they're still on track by like, we don't, we've, this scene where Sarah is picking the DVD is an invention. And, mm. um, but 
the DVD that she picks is not. That's from the game. And yeah. so the, they're they're constantly letting us know that they're not going off the rails or changing things just for the sake of changing. But they also have to do something that they can't like when the game you can immediately care like you immediately sort of care about Sarah because you're controlling her. You're put into Sarah, Sarah's shoes quite literally. But in this one, we have to follow them and get to know Sarah, get to know what she cares about, get to know what her life is like before you know, things sort of happen, the, the, yeah. the world goes to shit. We need to, we have to have context that we get um, because we're yeah. we're not I, we're not directly playing her. Like we have to go through her as a proxy. Yeah, I was gonna say, I think sometimes video games, since they're a cipher for you, we're automatically invested when we're playing video games with the right. character they've put us in here. I'm like, of course, you know, they have stakes in the game because I have stakes in the game. But when it's something where we're passively watching the characters like film, we have to build audience investment. So, you know, and I think sometimes video game movie adaptations have really suffered from that in the past, where I think mm -hmm. that, like, this this enhanced 2003 world following Sarah really um, was, I think it was a very smart move. Mm -hmm. um, because even though it was a little jarring to cut 20 years later, um, I think everybody understood everything that was necessary to like figure out this now post-apocalyptic world like we felt bad for joe um you know uh we we understood how everyone was taken by surprise by the infection you know you had that looming like debate from what was it like a 60s talk show yeah before that yeah um and so all of this stuff suddenly we're like okay we get it we get where they are and also i think you uh and this is something we do much more in movies is we set up protagonist scars we often show right. them um and so obviously this this scars joel um <laughs> and uh he like i i don't want to give away too much of the story but yeah um, pre-ptsd joel um yeah. yeah yeah i was gonna say this scars joel and so by the time we see him later with ellie suddenly we understand um, they even have a flash of him, you know, with Ellie. Right. He flashes back to something with Sarah early in the story, and that motivates him to beat the shit out of a man. Probably yeah, beat to him death. to death. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that that's, you know, the, like I said, the, the adaptation of something is, like, that's a perfect, like, the, the, the DVD moment is such a perfect moment of adaptation. Like I said, where it's something that is invented on the page. Yeah. Um, but it also shows you that it is respecting the source material inside the adaptation. And this is something that video game adaptations have missed, um, where they're just, it's not fan service. This is showing you directly that we, we care about these characters too. We were setting things up for down the line. Because if you know the game, you know that's going to come, you know that DVD series is coming back, which is so odd to say, but that DVD series is coming back. So they're mm -hmm. saying like, we, we, we've we got a plan. We're going forward. We're doing things, but we got to do this first. So it gives you just enough um, to sort of, you know, uh, to sort of tell you where you are to sort of, so that you relax into the thing and sort of become comfortable with the world. And the more that they uh, like, you know, that they adapt things, you know, because there's like, uh, there's like tiny little things like um, like um, in the game when the truck crashes, um, when Joel's truck crashes, it's because mm -hmm. they got hit. They get mm -hmm. blindsided. They get T-boned. Uh, uh, 
at an intersection is it's the same it happens the same basic way like they're driving through town there's crazy people everywhere ah and then you get t-boned and this one there's a plane crash which is like you don't see it coming and you're like you get it but it sort of lends credence to like this world has gone completely to shit like you know what i mean it's not just this one thing that gives it almost global implications like this thing has gone bad and quickly and so (laughs) so much so that planes are crashing now it's not just you know located to texas it has global implications because once you see that 747 crash you're like no this world is fucked um (laughs) yeah and i think i think we we totally you know it's like classic like war of the worlds had Mm -hmm. that classic crash and i think it does imply this like global stakes immediately additionally it's just obviously visually very stunning i would say that that the only time it felt like a video game to me was that race scene when we're going through town i felt like i was oh where he's where he's uh where he's uh yeah when he's picked her up and they're driving through and it's like we'll go down this corner no no this corner and it reminded me like of the days of like playing house of the dead at like game works or something um so so uh that was the only point where i was like "Ooh, i'm feeling the video game adaptation because it was very like a lot of forced perspectives where it's like you know oh we're gonna whip around here and whip around here and yeah that's they did that shot for shot almost from the video game there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of shot for shot the scene there people are already doing the memes where like they're showing where they went like the scene where what happens to sarah happens to sarah not to spoil anything is almost shot for shot it's almost Mm -hmm. shot for shot and it tore me up in the first i remember watching it and crying and i just it tore me up again last night i knew it was coming and it still tore me up but it was tore me up for a different reason and this is the thing where i was like i was worried about this show it justifies its existence and the the adaptation of it actually justifies its its existence and this is showing like i'm I'm pretty sure like you were affected also by what happens to sarah and so yeah absolutely yeah and so this the the that the way that they do it and then also of course how um when they when he sort of uses what happens to sarah to justify beating a man to death later on in the episode that's an invention again of the of the show but it makes sense within the context of it like you're getting the exact same experience without having to play this game and it it also doesn't have to be like beat for beat um, so this thing is justifying its existence. It's like, it's telling the same basic story, but it's, you know, it's like, um, it, you know, it reminds me of um, like when um, people adapt movies for novels, when they go back with the official novelization of the movie, um, like sort of that, and you get like the thoughts of the character and things like that. Like you get to enjoy that. This is sort of feels like that, but like in reverse, um, <laughs> you're getting the official movieization of the game um which is you know and uh it's just yeah and i was worried about that like that the story wouldn't have anything to sort yeah. of to tell but it's also like it, it has like a uh like a different sort of the vibe to it in certain parts um that scene where ellie watches joel beat a person to death and then you see the look on her face and you're just like "Ooh, that's interesting yeah. um you're like what you know, because that that you know, because there, there's a direct parallel there. Because you watch what happens like when Joel is defending Sarah against their formerly incapacitated neighbor, and Sarah's like, "Oh my god!" But then you look at like Ellie, and Ellie's like, "Oh my god!" 
like almost like she's like that dude's you know that dude's on it that dude's awesome um and you're just like oh man this world is fucked yeah i think well i mean for her she was really insecure and sees in episodes before that like can you smuggle me out like how like when was the last time you've been out there yeah you know and so for her i think that was a moment where she's like oh maybe oh yeah this yeah this dude's on it this dude knows what's up yeah yeah Yeah, maybe we'll maybe i'll be maybe we'll get there yeah um yeah interesting it's possible Uh, yeah yeah uh, well that also speaks to ellie later on in the game again like showing that they're on track without you know going off the rails um you know just showing that there are you know that there's playing across tracks where like there's a point where like you know um ellie is making an argument later to joel that like they're fine they don't need anybody else and joel is like what are you talking about like we've been barely scraping through like this right. is insane and she's just like yeah but we're making it we're making it work and so <laughs> to sort of see that like the beginning of that where like you know where that's where it's going to go. And Joel being like, you know, being the adult in the situation and be like, no, I have no control over that situation at any point. Like, yeah, that, that worked <laughs> I, know, out. I know what it looked like, but that was not in control of that situation at all. But like, you know, but her being like, you know, no, we're fine. We're good. We're doing okay. Um, to sort of see the beginnings of that right there in that moment where it's like, no, this dude's on it. Like, like, you know, we're fine. Um, but it was just it, it's it's interesting to sort of see this adaptation. Um, what are we taking away from this? Where, or where do you? I want to know where do you think this show is going? Oh, so I'm gonna. Oh, are you are you ready for me to be the cynic? Go ahead. Okay, so Ellie obviously is like some sort of the one or antivirus ability within her, since she has some sort of partial infection but didn't turn so naturally she's like it's like the different like opposite of like patient zero she's like patient 99 or something like she's the final the final outcome is we have a resistance to it right um and so obviously they need to get her somewhere where they can um safely um work with her on that or obviously she'll be very wanted because whoever has that makes her um incredibly valuable she's she's got a little bit of a a jesus uh savior um behavior like a character archetype am i right yes okay okay so um uh my guess is that we are going to have to conceal that joel is going to figure it out he doesn't know it yet um, although I think he, Joel, no, maybe he did because she showed her infected arm to him at the end of the pilot, right? To to his yeah, and they they showed that they had the 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 thing that uh, you know that they put up against your neck, which is also that this yeah. is how detailed it is. That prop pulled straight from the game, looks nice. exactly the same. And, and I just tested like, if you're infected or not. Yeah. yeah, it's so great. I was like, oh man, that's that's just detail. <laughs> that's extreme detail. Like these people copied everything from the game down to Ellie's backpack and yeah. that little thing, like a prop where they could have done anything, you know what I mean? But they literally, they literally kept that infection thing. It works exactly the same as it does in the game as it does on the show. Just like yeah. that sort of like, Oh, I love it. But anyway, yeah. So, she, yeah. so, so they knows. need to get, they need to get her, they need to get her safely to, I'm sure a place where they can figure out how to replicate that. 
Um, I also assume this is just seems like dr drama is that obviously along the way, they're going to either meet other people um, or Joel and his, I guess, girlfriend. What's his, what's her name? Tess. Tess. Um, it seems like they are going to be put in harm's way and potentially I assume one of them is going to get infected, which will lead them to either see if Ellie's abilities work or not. Some of that is correct. Um, okay. <laughs> but like, you know, it's like, I'm so sorry. This is just me being like a screenwriter and going, well, no, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. I, I'm so excited to see like, uh, but like I also assume that since there's several season i mean since there's several seasons i assume the place that they're taking her to ends up being more complicated than we've arrived either it's like oh they're the wrong people or they get destroyed or you know you know it can't be as simple as like here we've dropped you off humanity is safe they might think that early on but it probably will change well that's the thing about this world is that you know everybody is in shades of gray everybody right. is in shades right. of gray and so you know you have this uh world where like not all the bad guys are good guys. Like there's that scene at the beginning where Fedra is clearly kind of like the antagonists uh, of the quarantine zone. But at the same time, um, you know, you have that wonderfully um, tender moment where that woman is like, we're going to, we're going to get you all cleaned up. We're going to get you all these toys that all these toys yeah. that you want. We're going to get you all. And then she, they literally just give that kid like a lethal injection and you're just, but you know, they just, it was, it was a nice little lie. That that kid could just go to sleep to. It was just like, oh, but then they, you know, tossed him on a pyre and burned the, the kid to death. Um, we'll burn the well, body. Well, the kid was already dead. Kid yeah. was already dead, but they burned the body. It's just like, oh god, the show. Yeah, yeah, um, it was it was pretty brutal. I think we had a moment where we we're like, wait, is that wait what? Oh, liars, you know. Yeah. And then we also see that they, there's like there's handmaid's tale level of like consequences for going outside the like the the, the boundaries oh yeah people are getting hung um and it's so typical that you know pedro pascal is just there to do a drug deal he's not even like invested in the people getting hung like we just no. see them up there and he's like ah, i got stuff to do um people get hung all the time um yeah. and so you definitely get that sort of um you know heavy heavy handedness from fedra and like obviously in one perspective, I kind of understand it because you're trying not to spread an infection and that nearly ended the human race. But on the other, yeah. obviously, like you're killing, you're killing people all the time. It's called a quarantine zone for a reason. Don't go outside. Um, so yeah, like uh, let's move on to what are we watching, consuming, writing uh, besides starting The Last of Us. Um, I am continuing Better Call Saul, uh, which is addictive. Nice. Uh, the, the you know. Um, to, to sort of go into our our uh, thing from last week, but also it's also sort of adapting in its own because it's adapting the world of Breaking Bad, um, like with characters that are already established. And there's a there's a really weird thing where like that I noticed that sometimes um, Jimmy, uh, the main character who becomes Saul, is almost not the main character of his show. Like it's very much an ensemble. And they just sometimes they just let uh, Mike Ehrmantraut be a character, be the main character for the episode, you know, or they just or Kim, they just let it play out. Um, yeah. And then you might see Jimmy at like the end, and it's just it's very, but they're you know they're just building out this world, and you're just like, man, 
and they're adding context to it again it's like stuff that you know that's going to be a thing um but like you know they're just letting they're just allowing things to play out it's really really great um also really you know sort of a, an example of both adaptation and world building um yeah. i finished season three of dead to me with my wife and even though it was a series finale it felt like a season finale it didn't really feel like it was really weird it had a very strange ending things felt a little rushed um there's that thing where like you know you're gonna get where it's the last season so maybe they give you like an extended order so you can sort of have closure yeah yeah it gives enough closure and i feel like this would have benefited for one maybe one one or two more episodes um mm. just to just smooth it out um but then it just sort of ends and it's like okay that's the that's, that's the, it that's the okay all right uh all right not very satisfying but it, it works i guess um yeah and as for what i'm writing uh, i'm just i'm still attempting to get my current scripts in draft form um to be queryable by march um still working on that trying to nice. get things keep things on the track um uh, what about you k texford yeah i um watched the last of us last night so that counts uh also new season of the servant has dropped on apple tv just i think it's going week by week so i just saw the first episode uh and then i just fi finished the season finale of mythic quest i think it's season three or four the final of the most recent one. So um, that's kind of what I've been watching. Um, my family for Christmas got a 3D printer. So we're spending more time sitting around the 3D printer watching it slowly extrude things than <laughs> watching TV, um, just because it's very fascinating for us. Um, and and I was showing Rob at the beginning, I already got like a, a shotgun handle for my, uh, I'm sorry, a grip handle for my shotgun mic uh, we 3D printed, so I'm very excited about that. Um, and uh, we're also making a lot of toys for my cats uh, because they don't care if something doesn't come out right. They're like, it's still good, it's still good. It's mostly a ball. Um, <laughs> so we're having fun with that. And um, as far as my writing goes, I'm just finishing up. So there's a there's a short I'm working on with my producer friend uh, Julia. Cringe shorts. The Cringe Shorts, which is a trio, and we're going to start filming them in February. Um, each each nice. one is like a day, maybe a day max worth of shooting. Each one of them is in a single location um, with two actors in each scene, except for, except for the last one, which is three three actors, because it's a the first one is we meet the guy who's overcome with cringe. The girl is the second episode, and then they go on a date, and the cringe ghost goes nuts um, because. <clears throat> It just gets cringy. Is um, the cringe ghost the same in all three shorts? Yes. Awesome. Yes, and I've already we've already cast him. He's the robber from Julia's short. I don't know if you've seen that yet, but he's a. Uh, I have not. Okay, well, he's very funny. Um, and so yeah, so we're just um, working on that for production, and then I also I was a producer on a short film right before the end of the year, twenty twenty two. And they already finished post, and it is up and online. It is called Dog Lady. And um, the we'll put director, a link for it up in the show notes. Yes, the director is 
up for an award through Freeze and um, Deutsche Bank, like a directing award. So uh, please, if you can, vote for her. Uh, it'll also increase visibility on the project and also just make my heart happy because she's very talented. So uh, check that out, Dog Lady. It's only, I think it's about nine minutes long. It features a very cute pug. Um, and I assure you it's a nice palate cleanser if you're worried about the world sucking or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, which often it does. So that's me. That's what I've been working on. Uh, this week's resource is the Last of Us Companion Podcast. If you want to hear what it was like to adapt one masterpiece into another, check out HBO's official podcast for the show where host, host Troy Baker, um, who is plays the video, not only um, the like the video game lead in almost every video game that comes out, um, he is also the person who plays Joel in the video game. Um, he talks to folks who were boots on the ground during the production of the show, mainly showrunners and creators, Craig Mason and Neil Druckmann. Um, it's really fantastic, uh, to get real insight, uh, into the show, uh, on how the sausage was made from the mouth of the butchers themselves. Um, and that is our show screenwriting from the trenches can currently be found on anchor, Apple, um, Amazon, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify podcasts, as well as KevinLMartin.com. Our screenwriting Twitter drama theme song was written by Zach Morrison and used with his permission. And hey, since we're a new podcast, we'd appreciate it if you rate us uh, five stars on whatever platform that you patronize because... Algorithms! Uh, also, for those of you on Spotify, we put up questions, and uh, we almost never get answers to them, but if you want to answer the questions, that would be cool. Um, and we'll if people start answering the questions, we'll start reading them out uh, on the podcast. Um, for questions for us that we can and will answer on the show, email us at rob at, uh, at bmofo.net. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at BespectacleMofo. I am at K underscore Tux. Zach Morrison is at Zach Morrison 18. And these things, as well as my YouTube channel, where the Cinema Challenge series uh, is in full effect. Uh, we're up on episode four, episode four. Four, three or four. Um, well, our first round is, of course, how to make a movie for $1,000. Um, it's all linked in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you will continue to do so. Now, stop procrastinating. Those pages aren't going to write themselves. Hey, Tuxford, I'm looking forward to going through The Last of Us this season with you and and, and continuing to see what you think as, as the story okay. progresses. Okay, okay. Do you like the outsider perspective? I haven't I even added in like my own like love storylines. Um, but I really, I really hope somebody falls for like a fungus infected a zombie, um, but he's like for good or she. No, no. Okay. Happy New Year, screenwriters. Some of you out there might be hoping that 2023 is your year, but you're down in the trenches with bills and day jobs and life obstacles keeping you from doing what you want to be doing the most, making art. But we at Bespectacle Mofo Content have devised a formula that bypasses all the nonsense, all the obstacles, and allows you to practice your craft, fill your creativity soul bank, and not break your bank account while doing it. Welcome to the Cinema Challenge Series. Our first round is the definitive take on how to make a movie for $1,000. Yes, we have done this before, but 
This is why the information that we have now is the most viable that it's ever been. Everything you're ever going to need or encounter on your journey all summed up in a live three-hour virtual workshop where you can not only follow along with a free exclusive workbook, but also ask questions to further tailor our advice to your specific needs. Our holiday special is over, but for listeners of this podcast, we are offering 30% off with the code BMOFO23, all caps. And with that code, you also get the holiday special of us promoting your film. All you have to do is send us the trailer for your film within a year of taking our virtual workshop, and we'll shout it out on all Bespectacled Mofo-related social media. If interested, please register with the link below or email us at rob at bmofo.net for more info. Our YouTube channel is also available with shortened versions of the content we plan to offer in the virtual workshop. Find those links in the description of this podcast, and thanks for allowing us to be a part of your journey.